Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you're glad to be in church tonight, say amen. 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 Thank you, praise singers. Uh, youth class is having class tonight. You may be dismissed at this time. In Jesus' name. And uh, we, I have a little Bible study prepared for us. Uh-oh. Got a little air conditioner issue here. Ah, 738. I'll set my phone on top of it. All right, we're good. Praise the Lord. Good to see you there, sister, in the house of the Lord. Amen. We love you here. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I've had at least one charitable saint tell me that uh, it's okay if we get out of here by 830. So uh, that was my mother, by the way. If anybody can get away with it. (laughs) Amen. I'll try to do that. Since my paper was blown, it forced me to look at the clock back there. In fact, I should write the time down right now. 7.39. I don't want to lose that minute, sister. I heard you say 7.38 there. Amen. We'll get right to the Word of the Lord. I'm going to look in a very familiar portion of Scripture in the book of Matthew, chapter 24. And lots of other scriptures that you're going to hear tonight. Amen. I hear some pages turning in Bibles. That's a good sound. Sister Courtney, I thought you were going to be sick tonight or something since I was speaking, but she is in the house of the Lord. Amen. Plenty of other people that just love punishment. Well, here we go. Amen. Matthew chapter number 24. I got to stop talking like that. And beginning beginning at uh, verse number one, and I'm going to read a lengthy amount of scripture. In fact, I'll start here. Verse one, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to shew him the buildings of the temple. At this time, go ahead and be seated in Jesus' name as I'm going to, oh boy, I heard a lot of relief right there. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> There's plenty, plenty of scripture reading. I'm kind of perusing throughout this chapter tonight. That's all right. We can, have, we can have some laughs in the house of the Lord. I enjoy that. Uh, verse number two. And Jesus said unto them, <clears throat> See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? If you used to follow Brother Irvin Baxter, right now you would hear soldiers' footsteps going, and this music coming in for for end-time ministries. A little different now if you ever look at it. It looks like a Hollywood production. Uh, Whatever. But but, but his, his disciples asked a few questions here. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? Evidently, they don't have full understanding on a lot of things. Evidently, they seem to understand that he's coming back at some point. Maybe they're thinking about just simply resurrection from the dead. Jesus is actually going to be talking about when he's coming back uh, to claim his bride, however. And what will be the signs of the end of the world? And Jesus answered in verse 4 and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. How many hear of those types of things today? See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in divers places, all things happening today. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. How many times have we heard pastor talk about this? And we're in an organization today... Uh, This church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. 
that is in every nation of the world, save six or seven, I want to say, and, and that's about it. But, but my goodness, in the internet age, I dare say this gospel is being preached in every nation of the world as we speak today in 2023. Skipping down to verse number uh, 27, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He's coming fast. That's as fast as he cast Satan out of heaven. Lucifer. Like it was like lightning that he went out. That's how fast he's coming back uh, when he returns. Skipping to verse 30. Just a few more verses here. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable uh, of the fig tree, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth his leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. This is actually referring to this verse to the reformation of the nation in Israel, whether that's talking about what occurred in 1948 or when Judea was claimed after the Six-Day War in 1967. Verse 33, so likewise, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Jesus said, this generation shall not pass. And I'm going to teach a little Bible study tonight on this subject, the last generation of grace. Lord, bless the ministry of the word tonight. Uh, help me to say things clearly, and, and I pray your people would be edified and receive understanding from your word tonight. In Jesus' name, somebody said, in Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. If you've uh, been around this church for, for any length of time, certainly if you have gone through the uh, Search for Truth Bible study, we had a few that were just awarded uh, certificates this past Sunday, then you have learned about in the scriptures that the Bible uh, talks about seven time periods that, that, that we refer to, we, we call them dispensations uh, of time. These are not uh, equal lengths of time, but, but they each cover a certain uh, period of time in scripture, and there are seven of them. They begin with innocence, then you have conscience, human government, promise, uh, then you have law beginning uh, when Moses brought Israel across the Red Sea. He was on Mount Sinai. God gave him two tablets uh, of the law, and this, that is the fifth dispensation. The sixth is grace. We're living in that today. And the final uh, dispensation we're still waiting upon, the seventh, is the millennial uh, reign of Christ. We are still living uh, under grace uh, today in 2023. There is still a little bit of time yet in this dispensation. Look to your neighbor and say, there's still some time left. Now look back at your neighbor and say, that doesn't mean you can live like the devil. <laughs> oh boy, we're going we're gonna to start an argument here. Woo. Let's be a little nicer to your brothers and sisters here. But each of these dispensations, you've learned if you were in the, 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 the Search for Truth Bible study, cover a certain period of time. Uh, and with every one of these dispensations, there is a certain amount of, uh, and a greater and greater amount of revelation of God, of who He is, of attributes of His, and of His name with each uh, progressive dispensation that we have. Aren't you glad for the dispensation of grace uh, that we're living in? It's a little easier uh, to atone for sins and, and to have them atone for under grace than it was uh, under the law. But, but at the same time, we have got a greater revelation of who God is and of the name of God, Jesus, Jesus Christ, than any dispensation and any people in Scripture uh, prior to uh, the church age. Additionally, within each dispensation, there is a plan of salvation. Uh, that is specific to that dispensation, and it's based upon what God had revealed to man up to that point in time. And every one of these dispensations ends in judgment uh, prior to the next uh, dispensation beginning. This dispensation we're living in will end when Jesus returns for his bride to catch them away and enters and, and, and ushers in the, the uh, seventh uh, dispensation spoken of in Scripture being the millennial uh, reign of Christ. Say, praise the Lord, somebody. And within each of these dispensations, uh, there are some number of generations we see uh, of mankind. In the first dispensation, innocence, there were only two people, and there was only one generation. 
uh, of people because it started uh, with Adam and Eve and it ended uh, with Adam and Eve. There, there was nobody else uh, walking the earth uh, to that point in time. Now, from man's vantage point, a dispensation uh, or a generation will take some measurement of quantifiable time. Uh, but that is not so with God. With God, we know that time does not uh, affect him. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, uh, Moses recorded in Psalm chapter 90. And we know that Adam lived from the book of Genesis for 930 years. And so this first dispensation may have lasted for 50 to 100 years, perhaps, before uh, conscience. Maybe it was only uh, two or three years. We do not know. Uh, for how long this, this dispensation lasted. What we do know is that God revealed himself to Adam and Eve, particularly to Adam, to some extent. He revealed a commandment unto Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve disobeyed that commandment, and God had to pronounce uh, judgment. And the result of their disobedience was that sin uh, created separation between God and man. But aren't you glad that with that judgment, God already had it foreordained, uh, within his mind, that he would implement a pathway of redemption and a pathway to restoration of man's relationship with his uh, creator. And as he, he, he ushered in this new dispensation, they, they all of a sudden they realized, whoa, we're, we're naked. And during this first dispensation of innocence, they did not realize uh, that they were naked. Now, the second, conscience, they're aware. They're aware of, of, of a great deal uh, more things at this Point in time. And in this second dispensation, we see a, a greater revelation of God to man and a greater number of generations of mankind within this second generation. And this brings up a question What is a generation? I've used that word several times already. Apparently, it's not as much to God as it is to man if a thousand years to God are, are but as yesterday, as, as Psalm chapter 90 said and Moses record, recorded, in light of God's perspective on time, in other words. Uh, but, but several definitions uh, I, I, I discovered as I was looking into this word. One definition for a generation would be all of the people that are born and living at about the same time, uh, simultaneously, contemporaneously, and from a common ancestor. A generation could be said to be a set of members of a family, one family regarded as a single step or stage uh, in, in descent. And so I, as I thought about that definition, I thought back to biology classes in college 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago in, in my case. And we, we did uh, experiments with different things. And one that came to mind was fruit flies. And we had some that had this eosin, that means red, a reddish eye color, and other ones that did not. And you would join these together, and, and you would let them uh, do their thing, procreate. There would be progeny, and you would want to see, okay, how, how many of these fruit flies, what percentage of them uh, exhibited these certain traits of eye color with this first set of offspring, this first set of progeny, or this first generation, Okay. And you can talk about that, Brother Scott, as a generation of cars, if they make a new, a new model of sports car. Some people talk about that, or an SUV, as, as a, a generation of this particular uh, vehicle. And then the word itself, uh, generation, also, also has a meaning. It means production. It means uh, something, it means formation, propagation of, of something. Usually we're thinking of living uh, organisms. And basically, if you look at the root of this word, it's the same as the word genesis, the first book, which simply means uh, origin or formation of something. And so compiling all these things together, I came up with this uh, definition, and that is a generation is all of those things or people formed and existing at about the same time and with common ancestry. And this very concept, thinking about a, a generation uh, in its entirety, start to finish, can, can stop and make you think when, when, you, when you think about uh, one entire generation. As an example, in, in Exodus uh, chapter 1 and verse number 6, uh, the Bible records that Joseph died and all his brethren, all that generation. We see something similar recorded in, in Judges chapter 2 when Joshua died and all of his generation uh, passed on. They went to be with their fathers. Uh, or, or, and it records that many times in regards to kings of Israel or Judah. When they died, it says they slept with their fathers. It means they passed on and they were going to be buried 
uh, along with their, their family. And, you know, we all have little scriptures or things when we're reading uh, the Bible that just jump out to us and they'll make us sit and uh, think or get into a zone for a little bit. These scriptures always have that effect upon me. It might seem like a rather trivial verse of scripture that Joseph died and all his brethren on all that generation, and in many respects it is, but it always causes me uh, to stop and think. And I was, I was, as I was thinking about it recently reading that, I was thinking about when, not, not too long ago, a few times that I've been in, into eastern Kentucky and seen the, and visited the, the cemetery where, where most of the backs that are, are buried of my family uh, to this day. There are a few backs buried in other places, but a lot of backs are buried in this one particular cemetery, and it, it always gives me pause to stop and think about an entire generation right there. And I think about, I could stand over the graves, my great-grandmother and great-grandfather. I never met them. Charles H. and Ella Back. I, ne- I never met them. My dad met his, his, his grandmother. But they had uh, seven children. I believe there was four girls, and there were three boys. And they, they were born somewhere between, the first was 1906, the last was born in the year 1920. And when I stand at that cemetery, it gives me pause because I can sit there and look down and there's mom and dad. All their daughters are buried right there. One of their sons, their other sons, one is in uh, Arizona, the other is my grandfather's married in Jefferson Barracks. But that entire generation is gone. And it, it, it gives me pause to stop and think, wow, you know, they were as young as I am, younger than I am at some point. They were a young a young. Charles and Ella at some point, and they had youth, and they had vibrancy, and they had children, and, they, and their daughters were all out playing, and they were having fun together, and they enjoyed one another's company, and they had dreams and aspirations for life, and things that they might like to see, things that they might like to do at some point in life, and they got a little older, and there was a second world war that occurred, and various other things that happened in life. And, and, of course, when you're standing over and looking at their graves, it's easy to look back and think, boy, some of the things that they were probably treasuring and, and putting so much value upon, they're worth nothing right now other than a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's something to think about when an entire family is gone. And, but that whole family is gone. On a, on a grander scale, if you think about the, the United States alone or the entirety of this world, uh, all of that generation, born between 06 and 20, is pretty much gone today. If somebody was born in 1920, they're 103 years old uh, in, in the present day. There's a lot of octogenarians in the world, millions right now. Uh, less so, closer to a million that are in their, their 90s. Once you get past the age of 100, it starts to drop down uh, a bit more. Uh, under, under a million, you're in the hundreds of thousands and then something just really drops off when you get to age 110, and there's maybe a few hundred people that make it. If they live to be 100 years old, that's wonderful. Very few of those, an incredibly small percentage, will make it to the age of, of 110. But if you think about that, anyone that was in your life from, from that era, that entire generation, for the most part, is gone uh, today, and it's something that can give you pause to think about. It was only 10 or 12 years ago that uh, I remember seeing a news headline that the last World War I veteran passed away, and he was gone. He was the last leaf that, that somebody could go and talk to him and ask him uh, about a firsthand account of, of battles that occurred in the First World War. And now that generation only exists in history. The pages of history. Perhaps if they lived to recent years, maybe there's a recording of their voice or, or, or a video. And, and people that knew them have some memories of those people. But all that generation died, Exodus 1 and 6 tells us. And this informed us of a new generation, a different generation uh, that was on the horizon. The Egypt and the Pharaoh that Joseph once knew, you see, were no longer around to bless Joseph and were no longer around to bless uh, his Descendants. I think about this type of thing sometimes uh, when, I, when I think about the church. There was a certain generation that I think of as my favorite uh, generation. I remember uh, various services. If I, if I was in this uh, sanctuary and I was looking out and I could see everybody and I'd see certain individuals that were born maybe between the 19-teens and somewhere in the 30s. 
And, and not just anybody in the world that was born in that time frame, but people that were in Christ, people that were born again of the water and the spirit. Those were just my favorite people. There was something different about uh, blood-bought people from that era that I loved. And I remember sitting there at one time, and I, I saw certain individuals, saw the Hefkins would always be sitting over here, the Yingles back there. And I sat there, I, I sat there and I thought to myself, boy, I wonder how many, if any, will remain 10 years from now. And, and that was just logical thinking. You don't want to be thinking, thinking negative thoughts like that. But, but, but it caused me, those thoughts like that caused me to appreciate my friendships with these people. We still have just a few, few links uh, like that f- uh, from that era. I certainly think of Sister uh, Alvina Cronenberger's 90, 97, 98, excuse me. Uh, 98 years of age. I want to say that's about the same age as Sister Vesta Mangan, who still ministers behind a pulpit at, this, at that age. Amen. These are some of the last links we have to a certain era of the church uh, that, that was in existence. But, but, but when you see some of these last links, if you appreciate that, uh, these people, then you might think to, to, to ask them questions. And I would do that. I would ask some of these people questions. I would ask Sister Yingle about her father. And, uh, and I want to know some of these things about, about days uh, gone by while, there, while some people that have firsthand accounts are still here to answer these questions. And so many of the saints that we knew and that we loved in years past are no longer around to warm my heart and to warm your heart. They're no longer around here to make you smile just by their presence, just like old times, you might say, uh, but they are rather a part of a generation past. Or are they? It depends on your perspective, and there are two. And I'll get into uh, these a little later. I'll mention the first one right now. If I consider these things from a physical and a human perspective, generations again, then yes, I have to acknowledge that uh, there are many former acquaintances that I had that are now uh, somewhat footnotes in history and fading memories to to an awful lot uh, of the world. And their memories become gradually more and more distant as time goes on. And if I'm if I'm thinking specifically of former acquaintances who were not in Christ, then that is really the harsh reality of it, a footnote in history. I'm not going to see these people again. I don't like that. I wish I could see certain people uh, another time. I wish I could talk to them another time, certain people that were in church, certain people that were not in church that are gone. I dislike change in many ways. Uh, for this reason. But aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, uh, and forever? The Bible says in Lamentations chapter 5, Thou, O Lord, remainest forever, thy throne from generation to generation. Daniel chapter 4, and this is actually Nebuchadnezzar uh, speaking. He said, How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I said, God is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever in every generation. But God is a spirit, and you and I are flesh. As an aside, Jesus Christ, the man, had flesh also. So then how could this be that that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Well, the answer is because he is Jehovah. He is uh, the great I am. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He is the everlasting Father, and his name is Jesus. He is the same God. He is the same Spirit as in the Old Testament, but we have a greater revelation of his name and who he is today. Somebody said amen. Amen. But for you and I as flesh today, the Bible has a few things to say regarding uh, generations. First of all, Uh, we see from from a lot of scriptures that I looked into that the conduct of one generation, and this is quite obvious, it has an impact on that same generation. Uh, The first dispensation had only two people in it. It had only one uh, generation, but oh my, how how their conduct, how their actions affected that generation and beyond. And we see a similar thing when Moses sent the 12 spies to search out the land of Canaan. Uh, The Bible says 10 of them brought back a negative report and said, we can't conquer this land, and they discouraged their brethren, and their brethren ate that up. But Joshua and Caleb said, we are well able to overcome it. And the Bible says in Numbers 32 and verse 13, the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. If you step back 
to verses um, 11 and 12, this included all men from 20 years of age uh, and upward, and with the exceptions of Joshua and Caleb, none of that generation would get to see the land that God promised to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because they had done evil in not believing the word of the Lord, that he would give this land into their hands if they would stay aligned with him and follow him and trust him. Their conduct, we see, affected that entire generation. And not only does conduct of one generation affect that same generation, but it will certainly impact succeeding generations as well. We see many places in Scripture. In Exodus chapter 17, uh, beginning verse 15, Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Amalek was a descendant of Esau. And we see throughout the Old Testament uh, that, that Esau and the Amalekites, the Edomites, uh, were people that God was after. This is, this is why Saul, King Saul, lost the throne. Uh, he, was in, he was instructed to wipe out the Amalekites, every last one of them, not to spare any. God gave him instruction because God was trying to carry out justice. These were not innocent people. And God instructed him to wipe them out. Well, he didn't do that. He spared King Agag, and we see that God's hand was lifted off from Saul because of his uh, disobedience to the Lord, and that indeed affected the kingdom in his own generation and further down the road. In chapter 20 of Exodus, verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. In chapter 34 of Exodus, verse 7, Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. We see this, this mentioned, uh, iniquity of the fathers affecting three and four generations beyond them uh, many more times than just these two uh, that I read in Scripture. So, so we can have a negative impact by our actions. We can also uh, have a positive uh, impact. In 2 Kings chapter 10, verse number 30, the Lord said unto Jehu, "'Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit.'" On the throne of Israel. Here we see a positive impact upon the throne of David through generations because of someone's conduct that was pleasing uh, unto God. And so our conduct right now, likewise, can affect uh, future generations if the Lord tarries for good or for bad. Regardless of how I choose to conduct myself, uh, God has a plan for salvation. And God's plan for salvation and righteousness within any dispensation is available to every generation within that dispensation. I hope that's not too many big mouthful of words. I'm, I'm, I'm quite tired myself if anybody's tired in here uh, tonight. In fact, I was a little worried. A few years ago, I was about this tired, and I, I uh, brilliantly placed Niagara Falls in the state of California rather than in the nation of uh, Canada. My wife will let me know if I do anything like that tonight. God has a plan for salvation and righteousness, and that salvation is available to every and any generation within that dispensation. In Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 7, the Bible says, Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. Hear this, though. But my righteousness, my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation unto generation. You see, sin will bring pleasure uh, for a season. It will bring some pleasure, but that pleasure is for a season. But the righteousness of God, we see, uh, is forever. And we see uh, God is not simply looking for a, a brief relationship uh, I hope you know, brothers and sisters, it amazes me when I, when I go to, to work. I'm around 20-somethings uh, all four days out of the week when I'm up at uh, SIU. And it's interesting, you know, it'll be first thing Monday morning and somebody will walk up, well, Dr. Back, you got any big plans for this weekend? I'm thinking it's Monday morning. Are there not other days in this week? 
You've all heard this type of thing from people. You got big plans for this weekend? Or, or boy, did you have a great weekend? It's always about the weekend. People are living for the weekend. And sometimes you hear some disturbing things out of people's mouths. And they really are thinking uh, about the short term. It's amazing when you hear people and they're talking about going out to places because they're looking for a fling on the weekend. They're looking for, for uh, a, a woman that's, that's just pleasing to the eyes or, or a man that just has some uh, very initial quality that, that is satisfactory to, to one of the five senses. And they're looking for something very, very short term. But God is not looking uh, for a fling. God is not looking for a brief relationship with you or I. He wants a committed and long-lasting relationship with you and I in 2023. God is looking for the righteous and the faithful in every dispensation and in every generation, including today. In Genesis chapter 7, verse number 1, the Lord said to Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. I'm going to save you, Noah, and your family from what's this destruction that's about to befall uh, the world there. All the people of this current dispensation, Noah, uh, are about to be wiped out, but we're going to spare you and your family. Why? For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Psalm 112, beginning of verse 1, praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord and delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. And they are righteous because they follow God, and also because they seek God and seek his face faithfully and committedly. As we see in Psalm chapter 24, beginning of verse number 3, Who shall ascend into the holy hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Who? He that hath clean hands. And a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Verse 5. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him and seek his face, O Jacob. They have attained righteousness, you see, in the eyes of God as a consequence of seeking God and a consequence of seeking his face. If I'm going to attain uh, the righteousness of God, I've got to want it. Uh, this is not something that's just going to happen by, by, by accident. You have got to pursue God if you want to have and to attain uh, his righteousness that is going to save you. It does not happen by accident. Psalm chapter 14, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? Verse 5, there were they in great fear for God is in the generation. There's that word. He's in the generation, or that last definition, spiritual formation. God is in the generation of the righteous. You've got to want it. You've got to pursue it. But you cannot do this on your own. You cannot attain uh, this righteousness on your own. You need the help of the Lord. The Bible says my righteousness and your righteousness is as filthy rags. That doesn't mean there's no effort on my part, but if I'm born again of the water and the Spirit and I'm walking in the Spirit, I've got to align my will uh, with His will. And if I do these things, God will impute to me His righteousness. I cannot do it on my own, especially in this day, uh, in this age. And this is the will of God for your life. To gain the righteousness of God, I have got to seek him. And it's got to be deliberate. And somebody said amen. amen. Moving right along, watching that clock, playing beat the clock, if you're wondering. But not only do I want that righteousness for myself, and not only do you want that righteousness for yourself, or should you, I want that for that little boy right over there. And we see that training up and teaching the next generation is a theme that is talked about and repeated over uh, and, and over that God emphasizes in Scripture. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 6, The Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Excuse me. And thou shalt teach them 
diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Joel chapter 1, verse number 3 says, Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another uh, generation. In Psalm chapter number 78, verse number 4, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and the wonderful works uh, that he hath done. We are instructed by the word of God to endeavor to pass this truth, this doctrine, uh, this faith culture uh, on to uh, the next generation. These are things we know, but I, I just felt to remind us of a lot of these things tonight. But as we have heard many times, it only takes one generation to lose that. And what a dangerous uh, thing that is. Ronald Reagan, speaking during the Cold War, said this, made a similar statement about uh, freedom. He said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And it only takes a single generation for a godly heritage, for a spiritual legacy to be lost. And we've seen such a thing happen. This precious heritage is one generation from being lost. Now, God, if it is lost, God can raise up a fresh generation. Uh, really, that's what he did in the, in the revival that, that occurred at Azusa Street that Brother Corey Ivey could, could trace his, his roots uh, back to. Uh, there, were, there were not a bunch of preachers uh, who had this truth that were at this meeting at Azusa. There were people that were seeking to get back to biblical truth. And they sought after the Lord. They sought his face. And you know what? God revealed his, his truth to them. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it uh, and is, is safe, the Bible says. But, so God can raise up a fresh generation elsewhere. He doesn't, if, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, or people of the, 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 the spiritual heritage that, that I have uh, things in common with, if we don't pass this on, God can raise up a fresh generation, but I do not want the rocks to cry out because of my lack of trying. And we see this same thing happen numerous times in Scripture. I was reading, we were reading in uh, uh, the books of Kings and Chronicles probably in June or, or, or July, and I was struck as I was reading about Hezekiah, one of the great kings uh, of, of the kingdom uh, of Judah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father has, had done the Bible uh, said He tore down the high places of idolatry. He tore down the, the, the groves uh, and the altars. And he, he was a great king doing uh, right things, who was pleasing unto God, for, uh, by and large, one of the best kings in, in Judah's history, until a little blip at the end where pride crept in toward the end of his life. And the Bible said, in fact, that his heart was lifted up. Maybe this had something to do, maybe not, uh, with with uh, his son, because his son was Manasseh, one of the worst, if not the worst, king in the history uh, uh, of the kingdom of Judah. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. What happened in between the two? I don't know. We're not, we're not assessing blame here. We're not saying that this was Hezekiah's fault or, or his, his family's fault, any, any uh, particular individual, but Manasseh apparently did not get a hold of, of that same truth that his, his father had a hold of. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen. The Bible says he built again the high places, those high places of idolatry that his dad tore down. Well, he built them right back up. He reared up altars for Balaam. Uh, he was responsible for the shedding of much innocent blood as children under his reign and his own children were offered as sacrifices to idols and to pagan gods. And this change, the, the main thing to note, is it occurred from only one generation to the next. Just as, as, as a cautionary note for all of us. In Judges chapter 2, uh, we see that Joshua had passed away. He passed away, and in verse 10 it says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Uh, evidently, everyone that was of that time frame... Uh, the, the, the same as Joshua. All of his peers uh, were gone. And the Bible says there arose another generation after them, right after Joshua, the great leader Joshua. There arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Imagine if after he passed, Joshua came back and saw his, his own offspring and some of, these, some of these people that he knew from a young age, and they were serving and worshiping a false god. Oh, he would have been, 
he would have been disturbed to no end. And it took only one generation again uh, for this to occur. How sad it is when a younger generation whose fathers loved truth themselves never came to that uh, same love for the things of God. And we see that. We see that in just this generation. There's, there's a great falling away. How many uh, peers of ours, Sister Shelley, have we, have we seen? You and I are, are generation Xers. You're born between uh, 1965 and 1980. You're a member of Generation X. She and I, my goodness, we've seen a lot of people. People I never thought would turn away from truth. And where are they at today? There's still time left. We're still living under in grace. We need to pray. We got a lot of prodigals in Jesus' name that we, we need to, to pray for. But we see these people leaving, and, and you just sit there and think, my, how, how did we get here? How did this happen? God help us in this generation. How we got here is by not seeking God. How individuals fall away is by not seeking him, by not seeking his face, by not aligning themselves uh, with his will, by not uh, desiring and wanting, truly wanting the righteousness of God and pursuing after it, or at least not wanting it enough to do something about it. God help us Because if I ever needed God, and if we ever needed God, we need him right now in this generation. Somebody said amen to that. The prior generation in this scripture would not have even recognized this generation. I would certainly hope today in 2023, if we had a uh, brother N.A. Urshan or or brother G.E. Switzer or or Paul Frazee Sr. or the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter come into this church and see us worshiping, I would hope that they would feel comfortable in our midst uh, worshiping the Lord together with us, that they would not feel like, wow, this is not the people. This is not the church that I know. I don't remember this church and this, uh, this people. If they don't recognize us, we've got a problem. Because as I mentioned earlier, there is a first generation, a first perspective, excuse me, that we can look upon generations with. That is a physical or human perspective. And there's also a second uh, perspective that came to me as I was, I was reading and studying this recently that I can have when I'm thinking about uh, past generations, when I'm thinking about uh, past relations, elders, uh, preachers, friends, family members who were a part of the body of Christ, who were in Christ while they were living. The first was a physical perspective. The second is a spiritual perspective. And I'm going to step, I'm stepping out just a little on a limb here, but, but no, I'm really not. As I, as I looked into this, I'm quite, quite confident in the sound uh, biblical spiritual grounds that I have for these statements. It is a spiritual perspective. If I think of these past acquaintances from this perspective, there are some things to consider. Number one, if they were in Christ, then they're never going to see the second death. So in a sense, there is still, there is still life through Uh, Jesus Christ. And even though they are physically gone, they remain in Christ. Brother Paul Frazee Sr., your father, Sister Ruth, remains in Christ in the year 2023. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, the dead in Christ, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, brothers and sisters, if you will, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That is a comfort when you think about that. Number two, that's the first point. Number two, the Bible refers to Jesus in Romans uh, chapter 8 as the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. He is uh, Jehovah of the Old Testament, uh, robed in flesh as the Son of God. Hebrews uh, chapter 1 says this flesh was the express image of his person. Singular, not persons the express image of his person. Well, this man, Jesus Christ, was also the firstborn among many brethren. And if someone said to your brother or to your sibling, or if someone is said to be your brother or or said to be your sibling, excuse me, even if they've passed from this physical life, do you realize what that means? That means that you are of and a part of the same generation in a spiritual sense. An interesting thing to think about. And I looked at that and I was kind of testing that against chapter 24 of Matthew because I do believe that's talking about a spiritual generation, a physical generation, excuse me, but you can apply this spiritual concept to that. That means Jesus Christ 
the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, uh, preachers of old, people that you knew that have been gone for 40 years that were in Christ are of the same generation uh, as you and I. That means that you were formed with common ancestry. We can trace our roots to the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid, he bought this church with his own blood. Amen. Sister Andrea, you want to just come up and noodle around here just a bit? Maybe you can find a song with noodles in the title. (laughs) Suddenly macaroni and cheese sounds good. Oh, we got an amen over there. Amen. When Jesus said in Matthew 24, this is kind of what spurred this whole rambling of thoughts here. He said, this generation shall not pass. I do believe, as I just mentioned and I reiterate, I do believe it is talking about a physical generation. After all, just a few verses before, we see reference to the reformation of the nation of Israel, either in 1948 or, I believe, either then or 1967, immediately after the Six Days War. Six Days War, the seventh day they rested. Interesting how the Lord worked that all all out. And I've heard a lot of people, therefore, comment over the years, well... This generation shall not pass. Well, how long time-wise is this generation? And you can look into this and you'll find people giving various theories, and we don't know. A generation could be 25 years. Uh, It could be 40 years. It could be 70 years. Moses, again recorded in Psalm chapter 90, after man was not living 930 years like Adam, the days were getting gradually less. Since the time of Moses, you can expect to live Three score and ten years, if, if you make it past uh, childhood. I could have a lot more to say on that, where people say, oh, we live so much longer than we did a hundred years ago. Baloney. If you take into account all the ones that died in infancy, the millions of casualties in the world wars, yeah, you can make some skewed statements. But since the time of Moses, if you make it healthily into adulthood, good likelihood you've got about three score and ten years. And after that, it's going to be a little harder to get up out of bed in the morning. Going to have a few more aches and pains. I can tell you, after the age of 40, you get a few more (laughs) aches and pains in your body. But I believe that I am Iron Man, and I can beat this, Sister Hannah. Amen. I am not Iron Man. Oh, my. Bodily exercise profiteth little. It profits something, but, boy, time goes so fast. You know when you see, boy, I'm really getting far afield here. If you see some picture of an Arnold Schwarzenegger or some bodybuilder and uh, they're just so shredded, this physique, you realize when there's a picture like that, what you're seeing is the way they looked really for just a period of just a few days. They, They were training in all this, but then for a few days before they were in that competition, they starved themselves. They had so few calories, so few carbohydrates, a few... Uh, grams of protein. They were, they were counting the, the micro-molecules that, that they were eating. And then they starved themselves to a point where, boy, you could see a lot more things under their flesh. But boy, if you see Arnold Schwarzenegger today, not that impressive. What a human being he is. And he's nothing more than that. Amen. What a human being. Is a generation 25 years? Is it 70 years? Perhaps it's 110 years. The longest lived people, usually they're, for some reason, in Okinawa. Maybe it's their diet of uh, fish and vegetables. At least I can eat fish. But men, they, have, they have more people that live over 100 years. I'm pretty anti-vegetable. I wouldn't have made it in the days of Adam and Eve. And uh, I need to eat more vegetables. Amen. Perhaps 110 years would consist of an entire generation. And uh, this generation shall not pass. Well, and we've still got a little bit of time left if you've got a clock going from 1948 or from 1967, trying to figure out when is the Lord coming back. But, but, but Jesus goes on to say a few more things uh, in, in that chapter. Because really, if, if you think about this word generation, as I mentioned, in a spiritual sense then this generation would simply be referring to the church or to the church age, meaning from the day of Pentecost until Jesus returns as one spiritual generation, in which case the dispensation of grace would in fact only have one generation, as did 
the first dispensation. But this is spiritual. So in other words, the church or the church generation will be present until the return of Jesus Christ. That's what we really know from this. That's all just food for thought. I know that was stepping out about just a bit, but, but boy, I could not dispute that scripture. Regardless of the actual meaning of that verse, when Jesus said, this generation shall not pass, the point was this, we need to be ready. There were people in the first church that were absolutely convinced that Jesus was coming back while they were still alive because of what Jesus said. There were people in the second century, third century, every century. That, and really, it's a mindset we need to have. I've got to have that mindset that I am going to be ready to meet Jesus Christ from my last church service. Amen. Because he goes on to say, let's go ahead and stand, please. I'll wind this down. If I just continue a few verses in, in uh, chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 36, Jesus said, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man. You can try to pinpoint the day. We can figure out times and seasons. But, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. However I view that word, generation, if I'm thinking in a physical sense, if I'm thinking in a spiritual sense, you can, you can consider that scripture in either. We're given instruction by Jesus Christ himself. We're given instruction by Jehovah robed in the flesh. And that was, we need, I need to be watching at all times. Uh, I need to be ready at any time. There's no doubt that this dispensation of grace does not have much time left. And this very likely is that we're living what we're living in right now, the last physical generation, the last generation under grace because Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Amen. Mom, it's 831. Amen. Can we just lift our hands for just a moment here? Lord God, we're thankful, Lord, for this precious truth, God, that we have. We're so thankful, God, for the godly men and women, the, the godly leaders that you've placed in our lives that have ministered to us throughout the years. The people that we've known, Lord, the generations of people that, 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 that we have known, many that are, that are passed from this physical life, God, we give you thanks for the impact they've had on our lives, Lord. And I pray, God, for us, Lord, in this generation right now, God, as long as you tarry, God, help us to hold fast to this truth. Help us, Lord, to be ever watchful, to be ever ready, Lord God, for your, for your return, God, because we do believe that your return is very near. We see it all around us, Lord. We believe it. We're looking for you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray for everyone in this sanctuary, every one of us, God, help us, Lord, to keep ourselves, our own lives, our own thoughts, actions, behaviors, our own wills aligned with your will, Lord God, that they, we would indeed be ready, Lord God, for when you return. In Jesus' name. Somebody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder, this, this uh, Sunday, Brother Vic Vota will be here at uh, 10 a.m. Please greet your brothers and sisters before you leave. You're dismissed tonight, in Jesus' name.